This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Right now, the Federal Reserve set to release its latest policy statement next hour. Let's explore the possibilities. Andrew Bush is here, former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. He's an economist found online at andrewbush.com. Andy, what do we expect the Fed to say? Yeah, this is a big meeting. Uh, The market's anticipating that they're going to speed up their rate of which they're tapering, which the tapering should end at the end of March, meaning they're not going to continue to buy any more treasuries. The real more interesting aspect of it is whether on what they call their dot plots or their expectations for when they're going to raise interest rates. The market's already anticipating them raising rates starting in May and probably will get three next year. And then the wild card is if they say anything about if they're going to reduce down their balance sheet at some point. So a lot of moving parts here, Cisco. And I mean, they, they, do they have limited tools in order to deal with inflation in the short run, especially? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a great case of the Fed waiting way too long to deal with inflation. The whole T word of transitory is vanished from their discussions, right? Because it's here and upon us. And when you run producer price index at 9.6% or CPI at the highest rate in 38 years, you know you got a problem and you're behind the curve. So the only thing the Fed can do is just start to say, hey, we're going to stop the tape or we're going to stop buying securities and we're going to start raising interest rates faster. That could dampen down some expectations for future inflation. Just trying to understand, as people are obviously feeling inflation, but uh, over the long run, what's the economic impact? here because we're not going to get in a situation where the prices that have gone up so much are going to go down. That's not necessarily something that, that we even want to see. You don't want that deflation. And, and yet this is going to be more out of people's pocketbooks every year going forward. Yeah, the people that inflation hurts aren't the wealthy. It's not the upper income. It's the lower to middle income because they spend so much more of their disposable income on things like energy, gasoline, filling up their trucks or rent, things like that. And so they're the people that are hurt really badly by this. So we want to make sure that we don't have that type of inflation. Some of this um, will probably fade out as we get some of the supply chain issues handled. um, And also as some of the spending shifts from demand for goods back towards services like taking a vacation or going out to a restaurant or, you know, buying burgers. I don't know. All of those things wrap up to it. So that's what we're anticipating in the next year. But things like chip shortages and, and the costs of cars, those aren't going to go down anytime soon. Let's talk about retail sales. What are you seeing there? Yeah, that was kind of a, a little bit of a surprise. Um, it's hard to say what all of the things that are flowing through retail sales right now. Um, Just as an example, uh, the report showed that sales at electronic stores was down 
four and a half percent from the previous month. So that's a little strange. There's some weird things that are going through. Maybe people bought previous, you know, early as people were warned about, you know, supply chain disruptions coming. So it's hard to say. I'd rather wait till we see through the rest of the year to see what those numbers look like because we're only getting last month's numbers. So we still don't know yet. But overall, I mean, you have to remember that even even with a less number than people are expecting, retail sales rose 18 percent from a year earlier. So that just gives you the scope and how much money people are spending. Thanks so much, Andy Bush, former Chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. It's Personal Finance Wednesday. We're talking about the importance of your credit score, tactics you can use to boost it. We welcome Matt Schultz, Chief Credit Analyst at LendingTree. Uh, Matt, we're gonna talk about a lot here. Let's just single out maybe the most important thing that you would say people need to know if they want that credit score to be high so that they're getting the best rates then the most important thing you need to know is that you need to pay your bills on time every single time nothing that you can do with your credit is more important than that um, and that's that is something that you need to do over and over again, lather, rinse, repeat for years. When it comes to credit cards, people wonder, okay, do I have to pay the whole thing off in order to have a good credit score? Do I just need to make sure I, I do at least the minimum payment? Help us to understand that when we talk about paying things on time. When it comes to credit cards, your best move is to pay it off in full every month. That's the best thing for your credit. That's the best thing for your pocketbook. It's not realistic for everybody. Life's expensive in 2021, but the more you can pay on that credit card balance, the better it'll be for your credit. Now let's talk about the debt that you have on the credit cards. Uh, should you, I mean, it's almost silly to ask, but should you have less of it in order to boost the credit score? Yes, because of what's called your credit utilization, which is basically how much debt you have compared to how much available credit you have. And in the FICO scoring formula, the most common scoring formula in, in credit scoring, your credit utilization is the second most important factor. So if you can reduce that utilization rate, either by paying the balance down or getting more available credit, you certainly should. Uh, when you're dealing with credit card companies, uh, let's say you, you need more of that, uh, that credit in order to boost the credit score, you know, so the credit utilization rate looks better. Is it as simple as just calling them and saying, hey, can I get some more credit here? Or, or is it not that easy? Believe it or not, sometimes it really is about that easy. About 80% of people who have asked for a lower interest rate, for example, have gotten one. And sometimes it can be reduced by as much as five, 10 percentage points. And that's a really significant thing. And, and you see similar success rates for things like having uh, fees waived and even getting a higher credit limit. So especially if you have good credit, it's worth making that phone call. Thanks so much. Good insight from Matt Schultz. He is a chief credit analyst at LendingTree based in Austin. 
the only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday on the Noon Business Hour. Knowing when to cut bait and walk away from a losing investment is a critical part of preserving long-term wealth. Joining us with key advice, Mark Hulbert. He's an investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. Mark, let's begin by just talking about the challenge here. I mean, if someone has an investment and that thing starts going down and they get to the point where they're losing money on this, it is very emotionally difficult to just say, all right, fine, I'm going to walk away from this and lose the money. You're absolutely right. And I think the key thing in your question there is the emotional uh, dimension of all this. Um, I, in my experience dealing with uh, clients over the last 40 some years uh, in this stock picking business is that once you start losing, or in fact, once you have money on the table, whether you're gaining or losing, your emotions take over. And so the key thing and what I tell people, it's a little late once they have money on the table, but what I tell people is before you invest even a penny in a stock, write down the preconditions under which you'll decide to sell, either because it's done very well or because it's done very poorly. Because the preconditions that you might lay out will tell you is this the bet on that particular stock successful or not. By the time you actually have the money on the table, as I say, you are no longer able to be objective. And uh, it's, uh, it's a little harsh for me to say it that way, but that's almost my universal experience. And especially if it's going up, right? I mean, well, I guess either way, because if it's going up, you're afraid of losing out on gains. And if it's going down, you look at the gap and you look at how much you've lost and, and you're, you're just a, a wish and a prayer that somehow it bounces back and you don't lose the money. Well, that's right. As they often say, you know, hope is not a strategy. And yet you, you'd be surprised how many people, once they are in a losing position, will say, I'm going to hold on until the stock comes back to at least a break even so that when they actually get out of the stock, they don't have a loss. And the thing about it, what I remind people is the stock market couldn't care less the price at which you got in or out of that stock. They don't know. So, in fact, uh, why should you expect the market to come back to, uh, to where you paid for that stock? Interestingly enough, there's an enormous amount of research where it looks at the behavior of individual investors. And if a lot of people have gotten into a stock at a particular price and the price goes down, sure enough, when it gets back to that price, there is a huge amount of selling. So we know that people are behaving that way, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with the objective potential for that stock. So if you have not been uh, you know, wise, as you say, and written down your numbers for when you're going to move ahead of time before you invest, uh, what should you do if you find yourself in a situation where a stock is drop, drop, dropping, and you're not sure whether to get out or stay in and hope it goes back up? Well, you know, what I end up recommending to clients is that they ask somebody else who does not have money invested in that stock to uh, to go through the pluses and minuses and come up with a recommendation or talk to several people. But the, the key thing is to somehow get an anchor of uh, some advice, some insight that does not have its emotions uh, invested in what that stock does and then follow their advice because uh, I just don't really know of any good way in which we can overcome the the emotional pull that we have once we're in the stock and especially when we're losing. Thanks so much, Mark Hulbert, an investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Stocks trading lower, the Dow down 31, the NASDAQ down 119, and the S&P down 8. Let's see what's going on. Susan Schmidt is with us, head of U.S. equities at Aviva Investors here in Chicago. Susan, always good to talk with you. What do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Well, 
Well, we're seeing some wariness among investors. Remember that the Fed is coming out this afternoon talking about their ideas around interest rates in the coming months. And the market is really focused on that. So we're seeing people, I think, dance around their positions, just minor weakness in the Dow and the S&P, a little more weakness in tech where that NASDAQ is down 0.8%. And you're seeing that because you've got some weakness in the tech shares overall. The biggest sector getting hit today is energy. There's a concern with Omicron and a slowdown in the global markets. There's going to be less demand for energy, and we're seeing that impact in those stocks. Now, uh, tech stocks, I mean, they're down over 100 today. It's uh, just less than 1%. Uh, those, at least recently, ha have not really done as well as they have been. W what's going on there? Is that some of these stocks coming back to reality, or is it just general market trends? I think it's coming back to reality and reversion to the mean. They were meteoric in their rise for some of them, and it has been a really strong year-to-date for the tech sector. However, everything ra rationalizes as we move into year end. I think everyone is reassessing their positions. They've had great gains in tech. A lot of people are repositioning their portfolios to balance it out and reducing those positions in tech now. So I think you're going to see just a settling of the sector from now till year end. And that's what we're seeing right now. Let's talk about some of those uh, stocks in the travel area, given the fact that once vaccines rolled out, I mean, those stocks have been hit really hard. Some of them started to rebound. Uh, but now it's, it's a little spotty, given the fact that we have, uh, it's, it seems like every day there's some kind of a surge or new variant or something. Uh, what do we do with some of those travel stocks? That's right. Well, be prepared for further volatility because it is just as you described. When we thought we were in the clear that the vaccine was going to be disseminated and that people could go back to travel safely, we really saw those travel stocks come back into their own and people flooding into them looking for that return to normalcy. With Omicron and concerns about COVID again, now those travel stocks are backing off. And so be prepared for that volatility. It's a lot of exogenous events. It's about news headlines on how those stocks are going to get impacted. And emotion is definitely driving them in the near term. Let's talk about inflation, the Fed. I mean, trying to do something about it here. However, it, it seems like anything the Fed does is long term. It's not going to have a short term impact. So what should investors think about this? You have no choice but to go with the Fed in its long-term approach. This is an area where we're coming back, back to a normal economy, ideally, and the Fed is trying to figure out how to time that and time interest rates so that they help support the economy and get us back to normalcy. With the Fed announcement today, we expect to see the Fed come out with commentary saying that they want to increase the, with, increase the reduction of support that they're giving into the markets. So lowering those bond purchases as they're doing, lowering the overall amount, and then projecting what they think for interest rate increases in the future. Right now, the market's expecting two interest rate increases in the back half of 2022 and maybe three in 2023. Uh, if some people are, based on the volatility that, that you've talked about here, if some people are a little skittish about the ups and the downs, uh, do, you, do you maybe go too far in being defensive or is there a way you move some of your stuff defensive so that you can sleep at night? This is a tough time to realize that you're skittish because we've got a lot of extra movement as we go into year end. So always have a balanced portfolio so that you can sleep at night. I think that you just in this world have to be prepared for volatility. Obviously, cash is always safest, but 
My job is to look at the markets. I prefer that market exposure. And I think you just have to be prepared that it doesn't always go straight up. You have to deal with the ups and downs on the day to day. Well, in talking about cash, I mean, you're right. Cash is always safest. However, in a high inflation environment, you, you, you could be losing money every day that you have money sitting in cash. Absolutely. But remember that a high inflation environment is not what the Fed is projecting longer term. We think that we've got that transitory inflation. Everyone was very happy with transitory as a descriptor. That transitory is perhaps now a little bit longer than expected and going to several months to half a year, year period as those supply lines get worked out and inventory comes back onto the shelves. That is when we're going to see price bumps the issue for the Fed longer term and for investors is to recognize that that inflation stops, the price increases will stop, and then we should see normalcy again. Ideally, you just have to hold it out till then. Thanks so much. Always good advice from Susan Schmidt, head of U.S. equities at Aviva Investors. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Personal Finance Wednesday on the Noon Business Hour. The new year will be here in just a couple of weeks. There's still time to make some savvy money moves to the best position yourself for 2022. Let's find out what they are. Ed Jertsen is joining us. Certified financial planner, founder of Engage Wealth Group, found online at engagewealthgroup.com. Ed, if we had to say the number one most important money move to prepare yourself well for 2022, what would that be? Well, your listeners have heard it throughout the year, Cisco, and max the match, right? It's maxing the match in your retirement plan. So make sure that even if you get a year-end bonus or something of the sort, that you're maximizing your corporation's match because, again, that's free money. And so if you're not maximizing the match now, make sure you do it on January 1st in terms of raising the contribution percentage. So again, free money, and you'll thank me 30 years from now. And especially with an employer match, if that's a part of it, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're leaving money on the table if you don't grab that. And that's exactly it. If I was sitting outside your studio handing out $50 bills, the line would be around the block. And it's the same thing with your employer. Just by you making an additional contribution to your retirement plan, if your employer has the match, again, that's free money. Take all advantage of that. Okay, so make sure that you uh, get that retirement plan maxed out. Um, what's the next piece of advice? Yeah. So on the back end of this, you know, it's the season of giving. And so if you're required to take a minimum distribution out of your retirement account, consider a qualified charitable donation, which instead of taking your RMD in hand, you can send that required, min required minimum distribution to a qualified charity. That is a very savvy tax efficient move because it lowers your overall tax liability without having to worry about uh, accounting for every single donation on your own personal return. Uh, let's talk about taxes. You mentioned taxes. Uh, a lot of people trying to figure out, okay, is there anything that I need to look at in the next couple of weeks to make sure that I pay as little as possible in taxes uh, this upcoming year? 
Yeah, and, and let's specifically look at portfolios and a concept called tax loss harvesting, where in your taxable accounts, you have the ability to take whatever losses you have and potentially offset against capital gains. Now, this gets a little complicated, so you want to make sure you're reaching out to either your tax professional or certified financial planner. But again, what you're doing is you're allowing that portfolio to be as tax efficient as possible by instituting that tax loss har- harvesting strategy. And and when it comes to taxes, you're trying to figure out what you can do still to, to decrease your liability for this year while also setting yourself up for next year. Exactly. And that's why some of these elements that we've already talked about will help with that the, the, by looking at the qualified uh, distributions for your IRA and for your required minimum distribution. But also, again, you're always trying to be as tax efficient as possible. Paying additional taxes isn't a bad thing, Cisco, but we just don't want to pay more than we have to. And by taking into consideration some of the things we've talked about in other elements, you could be a tax savvy investor. Good advice. As always, thanks so much. That's Ed Jertson, certified financial planner, founder of Engage Wealth Group. Making sense of your dollars. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. 2021 has been a crazy year for the housing market, both nationally and locally. Let's look ahead to 2022. Steve Kirch, real estate editor at MarketWatch.com. Uh, Steve, I mean, let's begin with talking about prices here. I mean, they, they've risen a lot, which has been great for people who are selling but not so great for people who are buying. What do we expect to continue there in 2022? Continued high prices? Um, Cisco, it looks that way. The uh, home prices in the Chicago area were up about 12% in November. I think most of the real estate experts uh, have said, you know, we can't keep that kind of pace up around here or nationally, but all the factors are still in place to keep home prices high. Demand is high, inventory is low, and uh, even though the market may cool a little bit, uh, it's probably not going to help a whole lot because on the flip side you have interest rates likely to rise, and we'll find out more about that today when the, when the Fed speaks. Let's uh, think about the, uh, we got prices, but uh, is any of this sensitive based on interest rates and what ended up happening there? Yeah, I mean, the mortgage rates are still going to be relatively low, but for every certain percentage that you go up, you're going to price more people out of the market or you're going to give them less choice. And one of the problems we've seen during a lot of the pandemic is a real shortage of entry-level housing and and first-time buyer housing. That's been one of the sticking points in the market. Builders can't build it fast enough and a lot of the inventory just isn't there in the existing market. Let's talk about, you mentioned home builders. Uh, Are are they experiencing any challenges as far as land, materials? I mean, so many of them this year have said, hey, here's the price to build a house. And then two weeks later, it's 5%, 10% more. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because uh, they reported today a higher level of confidence in coming home sales and coming business activity for them, but they also report the same problems they've been having, which is labor shortages, material shortage, and inflation in both labor and materials costs. So um, I guess they're, they're rosy because they still see traffic to their subdivisions and they still see uh, demand holding up fairly well this late in the season. And uh, trying to think, too, for people who are uh, maybe on the fence about selling, uh, what do you see happening there? Do you, do you see something driving them over the edge to where they, where they actually will sell so that we get a better inventory number? 
it's still been a pretty good seller's market, uh, uh, but they get snatched up quickly, especially good houses in good locations, which is pretty much always the case. But you have buyers who are space, you know, they are demanding more space indoor and outdoor. Uh, a lot of that's still shaking out in the aftermath of the pandemic as we go forward here. So, um, yes, for sellers, you're probably all right getting on the market now. It's it's the buyers that are still feeling the squeeze, even though that may ease just a bit into 2022. Thanks for all the details. Steve Kirch, real estate editor at marketwatch.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.